Well, again, good morning. Good morning and welcome. My name is George Davis. Thanks for being a part of our services, either in person or online today. Some of you are new or newer to our church, and I want to welcome you. We're currently in this series we call Love This Book. Over each of the last several years, we've gone through sections of the Bible at the beginning of the year, and this year we're, we're following the life of Jesus, the journey of Jesus, and we've reached a point where we're now kind of looking at the season where Jesus is moving back to Jerusalem for the final time. Even as we are preparing for Easter, we see Jesus moving to Jerusalem, and uh, with that in mind, let me ask you to join with me in turning to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10 in the New Testament. And as we, as we come to this text, let me, let, me, let me give you just a little snapshot of one of the seasons of my life. In my mid-twenties, I worked for a Christian radio station in Dallas, Texas for a year, KCBI FM 90.9, and I uh, co-hosted the morning drive program from 6 to 9 a.m. And when I started that job, the uh, station manager said, look, I'm going to put a sound engineer in the studio with you too, just to help you out, uh, because I don't want to overwhelm you with what you're going to be doing, but eventually I want you to take over that role as well. I want you to be running the board. And um, so he, we started that conversation, and then a, a few days after I got started, and I'm, you know, my head's just really spinning a little bit, because I'm trying to get used to the, a new job and working with people that had a lot of years of experience in communication and broadcasting, and he came back to me and said, look, I'm this is what I want us to do. We're going to start moving in this direction, and uh, we're going to train you, but here's, I, I think you can do this, and we're going to walk through this with you. You will do this. So over time, the steps were put in place for me to take over that role as well. And it was one of those moments that in some ways was, was both exciting and scary. You know, it was great to have someone say, look, we're going to give you more responsibility. And that was exciting. But there was also this scary dimension. I've never done anything like this before. And I'm going to have to learn new things. And, and yet that's, that's the way things moved. And buckle up. That was my experience. And, and he was true to his word, walking through this with me and and it really, was, it, was, it really was a stretching experience because our goal on air was to make it sound like we're just a group of people sitting around a breakfast table sharing coffee together and just kind of keeping you updated on news, weather, sports, and traffic. But in reality, our show originated from five studios on two locations, and it was my job just to pull that all together. But it all started with someone looking at me and saying, you know, you can do this. I'll walk through this with you. You will do this. Now, let me ask you this. Have you, you ever had a conversation like that? Did, did you, have you had or do you have maybe a teacher who's looked at you and, you, you know, said, look, I think this is, I think you're good at this. I think you need to continue in this direction. Or maybe even a teacher that said to you, look, here's a, here's a scholarship application. You need to apply for this. This is you. I know maybe this feels like a stretch, but this is you. Or maybe you've had a supervisor, an employer who looked at you and said, look, I, I think now's the time for you to think about what's next. And here's an opportunity. You need to apply for this job. You need to apply for this position. I know it's a little scary and there's going to be a learning curve, but you can do this. Have you ever had one of those kinds of conversations? Well, even if you haven't, if you, if you were a follower of Jesus... In a real sense, 
Jesus is putting that kind of invitation, that kind of challenge, that kind of expectation in front of you this morning as we come to this text. And just like my experience with a station manager at KCBI, it's, a, it's an invitation that in some sense can be scary and, and yet exciting. It's an invitation, a challenge, an expectation that can be both intimidating as well as exhilarating. And to show you what I mean, let's now come to Luke chapter 10. Again, we're in that season where Jesus is now making his way towards Jerusalem, and this is part of the way Luke describes the the onward march that Jesus has to Jerusalem. He describes a scene where Jesus sends out people ahead of him to announce who he is and what he's doing. And we read this, Mark chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. The worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. So at this stage in Jesus' ministry, we see a moment where he sends out uh, a number of people. And and the exact number, to be honest with you, is debated. We could talk a little bit about that afterwards if you'd like. It's either either 70 or 72. But notice that these, these people are described as others. Now, what does that mean? Well, several chapters earlier, in chapter 9, there is a very similar scene where Jesus sends out the 12, right? Those named disciples that we know about. And, and they are sent out on kind of a similar sort of mission. In fact, the, the instructions are very similar in chapter 9 to the instructions given to these individuals in chapter 10. And so there's this sense in which most likely what's being communicated here is this. They are others in that the 72 are other than the named disciples that we are so familiar with. Now, the natural question then is, well, so who are these people? And frankly, we just don't know. I mean, we've got clues in the Gospels of other people besides the 12 disciples that were around Jesus. But but apparently there were just a number of people we just don't actually have details on. We don't know the specifics of who they are. And this is important to realize because isn't it the case, I mean, if, if you're kind of familiar with the Bible and, and church, that, that when you, isn't it the case when you think about the disciples and the Gospels, we, we most naturally think about the twelve. We think about those that we know more intimately, that we know by name. And yet, what this passage is reminding us is this. There were other followers of Jesus besides the twelve. And as this text shows, in some sense, they're they're disciples. 
And furthermore, I think what this text is, is challenging us to see is this. Right? These people have been somehow drawn into this broader movement of Jesus. And to be drawn into the movement is to be drawn into the mission. It's not just the 12. There are others involved in mission. And, and I think that's part of the reason Luke includes this scene. Because he wants us to see that right? these other people, just like the 12, were drawn into this movement of following Jesus. And when you're drawn into the movement, you are drawn into the mission. That, that was true then, and it's, it's true today. For us, to be drawn into the movement is to be drawn into the mission. And so in a real sense, even as that station manager was stretching me and challenging me and encouraging me, you can do this, we're going to walk through this with you. In a real sense, Jesus looks at us today as his followers and say, says, you, you, you can do this. This is who you are. You're with me now. You're part of my mission. But what exactly does that mean? What exactly does it mean to be on mission? I, I guess there are many ways to define that. Here's just kind of the way I think about it. To be, to be on mission is, it simply means we're, it's living out the message of Jesus in word and deed. Right? In, in my actions, in my conversations, just kind of in different ways, living out my faith commitment, living out that relationship. It's interesting, if you continue reading in Luke chapter 10, the scene where, where right, the messengers are sent out, the scene where the messengers are sent out with the message of Christ is, is followed in Luke 10 by the scene where Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, right? It's a story that emphasizes the importance of being a good neighbor, of being for others, and all that that can entail. And, and I think one of the things that holds these two, two stories together is, is the theme of mission. Right together, these stories are reminders that if, if we are disciples of Jesus, we've been drawn into this movement, and to be drawn into this movement is to be drawn into this mission, and to live on mission is to live as people who are living out the message in, in how we talk and how we interact with others. So to be drawn into the movement is to be drawn into the mission. A mission where I am to live out the message in word and deed. Now just let that sink in. Because here's the reality. I think often when we think about the Gospels, when we think about being a disciple, what we immediately think about is this, a disciple is a learner. And that's true in the ancient world, right? Disciples were followers of teachers. And so there was a student-teacher relationship. And we see that with Jesus and his disciples. So to be a disciple is to be a learner. But in recognizing that, I also need to understand this. That's not the full story of what it means to be a disciple. Because furthermore, a disciple is a messenger. In fact, think about that in personal terms. I mean, I think among other things, this text is challenging us. It's challenging me to see I am a messenger. Say that with me. I am a messenger. 
Now, I realize, I realize you kind of went along because I asked you, but I realize for some of us, maybe that sounds a little weird, a little awkward. Because, you know, I grew up in church, maybe, and I know Christians are to share their faith. But when I think about Christians sharing their faith or being vocal about Christianity, I think about those other Christians, right? That's a different category. Those people are, you know, they're just more assertive, more out there, sometimes more obnoxious. That's just not me. Maybe you've got a different category for those Christians. And yet again, I think part of what we're being challenged to see through this scene is that, well, no, if you're, if you're drawn, if you're drawn into the movement, you're drawn into the mission. It wasn't just the 12 that we know about. There were these other people, and they got drawn into the ministry of Jesus as well. And so in being drawn into his life, his orbit, and being drawn into the realm of discipleship, they were sent out. That means I am a messenger. So if that's the case, let's just unpack for a moment, okay, what does it look like for me to take this seriously, right? If, if, If I'm going to allow this scene from Jesus to really challenge and inform my understanding of what it means to be a follower, what, what does it look like for me to embrace this challenge of living on mission? What will this require? And I think when we begin to think about that, I think there are several clues that we find in this text in the instructions that Jesus gives to 72. And, and let, me, let me simply highlight three. I think, what does this require of me to really embrace this idea of living on mission? First of all, it, it requires urgency. Here's why I say that. Remember Jesus' command to these 70 or 72 was, you need to travel light, right? You need to travel light. Furthermore, he says, do not greet anyone on the road. (laughs) And at first glance, that seems totally counterproductive, right? Hey, I'm sending you out with a message, but by the way, as you go out, don't greet anybody. Wow, that's absolutely contradictory. But here's what I think Jesus is getting at. The idea was these people were going to go out ahead of Jesus to where Jesus was coming. But it's quite possible that the people who are being sent out, as they go out, they're going to come across people that they know. They're going to come across friends. They're going to come across relatives. And in a a cultural situation that highly prized and highly valued hospitality, in the going out, it would be easy for me to, hey, I came across my cousin. I'm just going to hang out with him for a couple of days. And I become distracted from the mission. So it's not that Jesus is telling people to be rude. It's just he's saying, look, don't be distracted. And what he is communicating here through these instructions is a sense of urgency. This week I got a call from a friend of mine in Europe, actually. He is a Polish ministry leader. And he was calling to really update me on some of the things he's going through, some of the things he's doing. Right now he's being very intentional in working with a group of Polish churches along the Polish-Ukrainian border as they deal with this refugee crisis. And he told me, you know, George, I'm, I'm going in and out of the Ukraine. In fact, he said, he said, I was in the Ukraine twice in the last few days. And as he told me that, he, he said, I have two observations, and these were the two observations. He said, first of all, the devastation is real. And this was hard for him to experience. Because he said, you know, he said, the devastation that, I, that I've seen 
brought back memories that I had of the fears I experienced as a child growing up in Poland of what it might be like if the Soviet Union invaded our country. And so he just kind of shared his heart. This is very personal for him. In fact, he even described how 80 years ago, uh, members of his family were refugees from this same area. And so he kind of just, you know, really just shared his heart. And, oh, this was heavy. And, 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 and that was the heavy part. But then he made a second observation, and this was much more encouraging. The second observation was this. George, you just wouldn't believe what churches are doing here. He said, I wish you could see it for yourself. He said, I wish you could see the way churches are working together and coming together and just engaging people and ministering to people. He said, you know, we've got all these churches along the Polish border and they're just stepping up. People are inviting refugees into their homes and then these churches are are now networking in informal ways with other churches that, that are farther really to the interior in Poland. And so we're actually seeing these refugees as, as churches kind of become overwhelmed by the crisis, the ways they're moving refugees to other churches kind of down the road so that they can continue the process. And, and he was just describing how in the midst of this devastation, it was so encouraging just to see churches working together. You know, I listened to that conversation and we were on the phone for about half an hour and, and, uh, I could just hear the urgency in his voice. And I was just, by the end of the conversation, I'd just been drawn into that situation. You know, how, Andrew, how can I help? And, you know, let's talk about that. And even now it's important for you to hear from me that as a church, you know, we're maintaining good connections with our ministry partners in that region because we realize this is going to be an ongoing situation. And how can, how can we best help in a long-term way? And we're sorting that out. But, but I got off the phone and, and, you know, there's just this sense of urgency that... that that had just drawn me into that moment. And later in the afternoon, you know, I came back to this text, came back to the time of sermon preparation, and I just, to be honest with you, I just felt convicted. And, and the conviction was this. The conviction was, does it take a crisis for me to see the urgency of living out the gospel. And that, that question just <laughs> grabbed me really by the throat. Does it take a crisis for me to see the urgency of, of living out the gospel? It was convicting. Because I realized, yes, I'm, I'm a pastor, but the truth is it, it can be easy for me, maybe like at times it can be easy for you just to kind of lose any sense of urgency about the message of the gospel. In fact, one of the reasons I wanted to preach this text was I I need to hear this message myself. And I realized at this point I could could really work hard at making us all feel guilty. We need to share our faith more if you're a follower of Jesus. But I'm not sure that sense of urgency is ultimately fueled by guilt. I think rather it's fueled by a vision of who God is and what he's doing. It's interesting in this text, as Jesus sends these people out twice, he says, look, remember, understand this, the kingdom of God is here. Right through through Christ's work, God is drawing people to himself to experience his forgiveness, his renewal, to experience the reality of the work of his spirit, to experience new relationships. 
That, that work of the kingdom is here now. And those who never experience that work will be separated from God for all eternity. I think it's understanding that reality that kind of draws us in, that compels us to live on mission, right? In, in similar ways, the Apostle Paul says the love of Christ compels us. So here's the question. Do I, do I have an awareness that God's kingdom is at work? Do I have an awareness that as a recipient of that love, that love is actually not simply about me, but it is to kind of work in me and also work through me? And that's important because the truth is it just may be the case. It's not that I've gotten into bad stuff necessarily, but just in the weightiness of life, the busyness of life. Right now, I just I may be distracted. And I've lost sight of that bigger reality. Do, do I have an awareness that God is at work in, in such a way that it, it draws me in, that it fuels a sense of urgency? And I think the reality of that urgency leads to a second dimension of things that are required. Not only do we need a sense of urgency, but I think also we need, a, we need flexibility. Again, you see Jesus send out the 72 here. Earlier, he sends out the 12, and in both of those situations, the instructions are very similar. But as you continue in Luke's gospel, you get to Luke 22, and there's another similar kind of commissioning, but this time, the directions, the instructions change. In other words, Jesus is giving different directions in different situations or different contexts, and I think, therefore, he's encouraging flexibility. Now, hear me clearly, the message doesn't change. That's an absolute, but, but how we live out the message, how we communicate the message will reflect our particular circumstances. Now, there are a variety of ways we can unpack this, but let me, let me just make one observation about what this means for us as a church. And that is this. We need to understand we live at a time and a place where our culture is becoming more diverse, more pluralistic. And as a result of a variety of cultural headwinds, and crosswinds. More and more people are wondering, why would I take Christianity seriously? And with that, there is a growing percentage of our population that now describe themselves as religiously unaffiliated. Right? I'm just not part of that. Furthermore, the overwhelming majority of people who identify themselves that way are actually people who have some type of church experience in their background. And that means this. We live in a time when a growing number of people have walked away or are walking away. And I would argue the experiences of COVID over the last several years have simply accelerated these cultural trends. Now, I could overwhelm you with statistics, and there's some good research out there from organizations like the Pew Foundation or the Barna Group. 
But for many of you, I, I, don't, I don't have to give you statistics because this is, for you, for some of us here, it's not about statistics. This is about people we know. It's about friends. It's about members of our family. People who have walked away, people who aren't interested, people who are walking away. And as a church, we need to understand this is the context in which we now find ourselves. And this is one of the reasons, as we look at the next five years, that a foundational question we are asking is this. How do we engage young adults well? How do we engage young adults in our mission? I mean, that that is a season of life, a life stage where so many important decisions are made. And it is a season in life where now some people are choosing either to follow Jesus or simply to walk away. So how can we be a community that's a place where others can explore Christianity and ask hard questions? How can we be a place where people are building relationships across generations? A place where you're invited to follow Jesus on his mission. A place that equips you to serve and to be part of his bigger mission. A place where we're seeing the faith of Jesus Christ pass from one generation to another. You see, we have to ask these questions because of the urgency of the message. And the urgency of the message fosters flexibility because we have been called as a church community to live out our faith at this particular time, in this particular place. But if we're going to do that well, I think there's one other thing that we see in this passage that this will require. Not only urgency and flexibility, it will require courage. Jesus is clear in this passage. Even though the kingdom is at work, some won't accept the message, right? He communicates that clearly. There will be those who reject and oppose. Do not be surprised by that. In fact, Jesus even pronounces woes on communities that ultimately rejected his message. So this is what it will require for us individually. This is what it is required of us as a church community. But if that's what is required, what will, what will be the result? And simply put, the result will be this. We're participating in God's program. We're participating in God's work. You'll notice as the scene unfolds, right, the 72 come back and they're rejoicing. Jesus, the Spirit, submit to us in your name. And they're celebrating. And I'm sure even as they were celebrating and they told stories together, some actually also had stories of rejection and hardship because Jesus said that would happen. So there's rejoicing and there's uh, reality of celebrating good stories, but there's also the acknowledgement of some of the challenges they undoubtedly felt. Yet all along the way, they were participating in God's mission. This week, Pastor Bob and I were having lunch, and um, you know, had, again, I kind of had this message on my mind. So the server came over, and as he was taking our order, I, I looked at him and I said, um, "I said, by the way, we're going we're to pray in a moment. Is there anything we can pray for you about?" 
And he looked at us and he said, absolutely. And then he kind of introduced himself and gave us a little bit of his life story. And most significantly, this is a new job. He said, I think you're the eighth table I've served. So he just talked about that and kind of getting adjusted to that. And, and he kind of shared some kind of, kind of concerns. And, and then he just kind of stopped and he looked down. And I realized, oh, he wants us to pray. So I looked across the table. Bob, lead us in prayer. <laughs> We'll just categorize that as senior pastor privilege, okay? <laughs> and so we prayed, and, you know, then at, the, then at the end of the meal, he came back to kind of uh, settle the bill, and as we did that, I just, hey, let me just introduce us, and we were the Hershey Free Church, and, you know, we'd love to have you join us. And, and at some point, and just gave him my card, if we can help in any way, just let us know. And, you know, the interesting thing is, since that happened, there have been a couple of really distinct moments where his name has just popped into my head. So I just, just a really quick prayer. Now look, there, there's nothing dramatic about this, not, not you know, earth-shattering in any way necessarily, but, but the reality is just that experience has reminded me, I, you know what, I'm, I'm part of something bigger. I, I am a participant in what God is doing. That doesn't mean the message will always be received positively, but I've been drawn into something bigger than myself. So here's what we see, right? 72 were sent out on mission, a mission that required urgency, flexibility, and courage because they would be challenged along the way. And yet, as they participated in this mission, they were participating in God's work. Now, a moment ago, I asked you to say this simple phrase, I am a messenger. And I think in a real sense, Jesus comes back to that truth as the scene unfolds. Because remember, the 72 come back and they're celebrating. I mean, it's high five time. Woohoo! look at what happened. The spirits submitted to the name of Jesus. Isn't this great? And, and in the midst of all the rah-rah and the celebration, Jesus says this. He says, however, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And you want to ask, okay, so why does Jesus curb their enthusiasm here? You know, let's just live in the moment and look at, look at what's happened, and yet Jesus says this. And I think he says this for this reason. It's like he says, look, I know you're excited, but don't lose sight of the fact that the mission isn't simply something you do. The mission reflects who you are. You've been brought into relationship with me. And now the mission flows out of your identity. Another way to think about it is maybe to think in these terms. We, we have an identity as followers of Jesus that leads to our mission. Or we have a mission that's grounded in our identity. So as I understand my identity as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, I must understand that I am a messenger. I have been drawn into this mission. And that leads to one final question. And that question is this. 
what's one step I can take in living out my identity? Okay, so let's take this and, and let's just make it really practical now. So what's one step that I can take in living out my identity? If this is part of who I am as a follower of Jesus, if I've been drawn into the movement and therefore drawn into the mission and I'm a messenger, what is one step I can take in living out my identity? And maybe even to make this more concrete, let's put a time frame to it. What's one step I can What's one step I can take in living out my identity between now and Easter? Now, I realize that's a pretty broad question, but so let me, let me just kind of prime the pump for you with several observations. So what, what might be one step you could take as a follower of Jesus between now and Easter in living out your identity? Well, what is clear, among other things from this text, that a foundational step is prayer. Right, as Jesus sends these disciples out on mission, it's very clear it is God who is drawing people in. This is his work, and therefore we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And I think part of praying, as Jesus describes here, is is praying in a way that you are open to how God is inviting you to be a part of what he's doing. And maybe that becomes part of how you pray particularly between now and Easter. Father, help me understand how I can be part of your mission and what that looks like. And I think for some of us, as we pray along those lines, certain people will come to mind. Some of you already are praying for certain people in your life. But for others of us, I think as we pray in this way, certain people may come to mind and you just become attuned to the people in your life who need the transforming work of Jesus. And, we, we, and that becomes part of our prayer. And I think as, as we pray along these lines, we also become aware of, of opportunities that may already be present in our lives. Because the truth is, there may already be opportunities in your life right now, right, just to invest in the lives of other people. And in serving, for instance, in, in meaningful ways, and encouraging. I think about an, uh, one of my neighbors and part of his faith story is the fact that, that people in our church invested in his family in a meaningful way. And that became a step in his faith story. And maybe there are people in your life right now where just in investing in the relationship and serving and just out of the love of Jesus, that becomes that becomes a step in their journey as well. 